So welcome along. It is great to have you here. How you doing? Good? Brilliant. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, yeah, it's so good to have you with us as we start February. What a way to start February with all that rain that came bucketing down. Uh, but it's exactly what we've been praying for for the last few months and the Lord delivered it. So we give him praise for that. Amen. Fantastic. Um, so, firstly, again, I just want to extend my welcome. If you're someone who's visiting today or, or it's your first time gathering along, we, we welcome you in that back section there after church. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to put a little welcome bag in your hand, which has information about us as a church, what we're on about, why we do what we do. And hopefully today, as I finish talking, you'll have a pretty clear understanding of that because we are in our 2020 vision series where we are looking at why do we do it? What is our purpose? And last week, for those of you who were here, we just kicked this off looking from Matthew 16, um, this idea that Jesus in that moment with Peter standing in front, well, at Caesarea Philippi, standing in front of literally what the ancients believed to be the gates of hell themselves, said, on this rock, I will build my church, my ecclesia, my gathering, my assembly of people, and we spoke into that about the purpose and the mission of the church, which was that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And that means, because a gate is not an offensive thing, it's a defensive thing, yeah? A gate doesn't jump forward, a gate doesn't come and charge down you down, a gate just stands there, which means for the gates of hell not to prevail, it means the church is on the offensive against the gates of hell to kick down the gates of hell. And that is part of our mission, that is part of why we're here. Um, so today we want to go into a bit more detail on that last point, this purpose, this why do we do what we do? Here at Hills Baptist, why do we exist? What are we on about as a church? So if you've come along wondering that, today's a good day to be in church, yes? It's a good day to be in church. Um, so this is part of, part of my job, part of what I get to do around the place. One is uh, help to lead this place and, and preach and teach. Another thing is I get the, the privilege of going into schools and going into businesses um, and other organizations, not-for-profits, and I just get to, to encourage them uh, with a particular word, whatever that word might be, whatever sometimes what their boss wants me to talk about. Uh, but most of the time, it's just something that I feel like God's laid on my heart, and I just get a chance to go and share with these guys. And in the last probably 12 months, the thing that keeps coming up and resonating over and over again is this idea of purpose. Coming into these places and reminding them, I suppose, why do you do what you do? And uh, we just had a week, just this last week, I spent the first three days of this week uh, with the year 12s from this school Speaking into exactly that, like you're here at school, but why do you do what you do? To the staff, why do you do what you do? What is your purpose? Because there's power in purpose. There's power in understanding the why. And so often we see in life, individually and also corporately, in organizations and even in the church, people coming along and they're sort of just going about their daily business, but they don't know why they do what they do. There's no greater sense of this is what's compelling me, this is what's driving me, this is what's leading me. And organizations, what they do is they're aware of this and they're aware how easily people can get distracted, so they come up with things called vision statements and mission statements, yeah? And I want to show you a couple of some very well-known organizations in our, uh, in our world today, in our Western culture, 
I just want to, I'm going to show you their vision statement. I want you to see if you can guess who it is. So let's throw that first one up there, Katie. So to empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more. Any ideas? Nike, did you say? Anyone? IBM, let's put it up there. Microsoft. All right, next one. You're going to get this one. Maybe. How are we going, Katie? Can we do that next one? This is Katie's first time on Projector, by the way. Can we just give her a huge round of applause? Isn't she doing a great job? It's such a hard job because the moment you, like, it doesn't work, everyone's like, what is going on back there? She's doing an awesome job. Okay, to organise the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Anyone? Google. Google. Fantastic. Well done. Next one. To ignite opportunity by setting the world in motion. What's that? Qantas? Let's go to it. Uber. <laughs> to ignite opportunity by setting the world in motion. Isn't that a great vision statement? All right, next one. I've just got a couple more that I want you to have a look at. To spread ideas. I can't understand you. You're all yelling at the same time. Ted. Yeah, really good. Ted. Who knows Ted Talks? Anyone seen a Ted Talk? So, Ted. Um, let's do some personal ones. This one's going to be really interesting to see if you can get this one. To be a teacher and to be known for inspiring my students to be more than they thought they could be. Anyone want to have a crack at this? Who? Joe Shepherd. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> All right, let's put it up there. You'll never guess this. Oprah. Isn't it fascinating that Oprah's mission is to be a teacher and to inspire people, and that's led to a multi-billion dollar corporation. But her main goal was to inspire people. Uh, next one. To have fun in my journey through life and to learn from my mistakes. Richard, who said that? Richard Branson, Cherie, well done. Put it up there. Wow, that's a really stretched photo of Richard Branson. <laughs> He'll be unhappy about that. To have fun in my journey through life and to learn from my mistakes. That's his purpose. He's saying, this is why I live. This is why I do what I do. And out of that has come all this incredible stuff just because he had this desire to explore and have fun and to learn. Um, last one I want to put up there is this. This person said, to proclaim the good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. I wonder if someone can guess. Jesus. I put that up there because I think sometimes when we talk about the church, people can get funny when a church starts to talk about its mission or its purpose. Sometimes we get a bit anxious about it. We think, no, no, the church is just a place for me to come and gather and be fed and to receive, you know, just to be in Christian fellowship. But actually, the church is a part of the great mission of God. Because God is a God of purpose. Corporations did not invent mission and vision and purposeful statements. That is God's domain. 
the world has borrowed that because it's good. You see, God is a God of purpose. God is a God who has set out to achieve something from the very first letter in Genesis 1-1, God has been on a mission to have beautiful, perfect, eternal communion with the people he created. And through the whole journey of Scripture, we see this incredible story of God at work in humanity, humanity falling, making stupid mistakes and turning the back on the Creator, and then God's purpose and plan to bring humanity back. And this is why when we misquote Jeremiah 29.11 and we think it's all about just the plan he has for me because I want a new pair of Nikes this year, is not what he's talking about. He is talking about his plan of redemption in his Son, yeah? And so God is a God of purpose, and his purpose is achieved through his Son, as we learned last week, that Jesus is the one building his church. Jesus is the one at work in the world. It is he who is building faith in people. So he's at work uh, through the Son, by the Spirit, the Spirit which brings faith through the Ecclesia, which is the church, the body of Christ. Which means we are called to participate in the mission of God. But it's not us who do it, it's Christ in us. So we actually have this great privilege, this great opportunity to step in and say, God, here I am. I'm just a jar of clay, I'm just an earthen vessel, but use me. You can use me. You desire to use me to play some part in your mission to bring about your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? This is what God is doing. And we see this all throughout Scripture, right? It's amazing. Here's what I want you to understand, though. There's one fundamental difference when we look at the, the organizations of the world and corporations and we look at the church. You see, for organizations in the world, it's all about I have my purpose and there's pow- that purpose sort of powers my organization. It's the thing that we're striving for. It's the thing that we keep our eyes fixed on because that is if we lose sight of that, we'll just start going left and we'll start going right. The thing about the church is that God has his mission and he has his purpose of what he wants to achieve in and through his church, but it's not that that powers the church. It is the the purpose is empowered by the Spirit. So we're not going to be talking about the power of purpose. We're going to be talking about empowered in purpose because that's the truth of the church. The church is empowered into its purpose by the Spirit of God. Go with me to Acts chapter 1. And basically, over the next 20 minutes, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to briefly look at Acts 1 through 4. But I want, you to, I want you to see something. Before Jesus ascends to the Father, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 8, he says this. It says this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, Jesus, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it is not for, uh, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power, everyone say power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, somebody say witnesses, in Jerusalem, 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I have heard this preached really badly a heck of a lot. And I think you have too. Because what some preachers do is they take this passage and they make it as if the Holy Spirit is going to turn human beings into some sort of magical magician where we get filled with the Spirit and then we have these magical powers to like zap people and just transform people in a moment. Who's heard that preached before in one way, shape or another? And it's this, this false understanding of what's going on. The Bible is very clear about the purpose and the function of the Holy Spirit. Can I run you through some of them? Firstly, to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, John 16, 8 to 11. Secondly, to transform or sanctify the people of God in the sight of God, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Third, to teach us the word of God and to bring it to life in our hearts, John 14, 26. Fourth, to help us walk in godliness, Galatians 5, 22, 23. Can I keep going? Five, to empower us with, with the gifts for the edification of believers, 1 Corinthians 12, 4, 7, 1 Corinthians 14, 12. Six, to give us the deposit or the guarantee of eternal life in Christ, 2 Corinthians 1, 21, 22, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, just so you've got your biblical references, yeah? Seven, to empower the people of God to bear witness to the world. John 15, 26, Acts 4, 33, 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5. And precisely what Jesus is saying here in Acts chapter 1. He's saying, you will receive power on high. Why? Not so the church can become some insular, gift-gloating social club. Read 1 Corinthians. God is very, very strong. The reason we receive the Holy Spirit, the reason Jesus sent His Spirit to His church so that His church would be empowered for mission. So that His church would be empowered to bring the gospel, to bear witness of the gospel to the world. And what that looks like is unity that we talked about last week. When the church stops bickering and fighting and everyone trying to say who's right, we just stand firm on the rock that is the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the solid rock, that He is the Son of God. And as we gather together, it's the Spirit that unifies us. And that is a powerful witness to a very divided and broken world. Secondly, that transformed life. When you see someone whose life has been radically transformed from what it was and to what it is now, The world cannot help but look at that and say, there's something about you that's different. It's a witness. This is what we're supposed to see. This is the purpose of the Holy Spirit, to take what Jesus has done, to take his word and to just like bury it in the hearts of of the church and to make the church become this light on a hill that shines gloriously and victoriously the love of God in Christ Jesus to the world. And so I want to apologize firstly if someone has ever stood on a stage and spoken something over you around the Holy Spirit that has caused you to be timid or fearful of who He is. Because the Spirit of God is not God's weird, crazy, uncontrollable cousin. He is the third person of the Trinitarian Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, which means He is love, 
He is joyful. He is peaceful. Yes, he is jealous for his people. It's awfully quiet in this church right now. So can we agree that the Spirit of God is, is not something that we should be afraid of or timid of, but actually we need to press in and we, need, we just need to say, yes, you know what, if the Spirit of God is the means through which, which Christ is empowering His purpose, is the means through which Christ is empowering His mission in the world, should not the church say, yes, fill me, Holy Spirit. Fill me, Holy Spirit, and allow me to step into the things that you are calling me to step into. And so here's what I want us to see as we explore Acts. If, this, if, if the church's purpose is actually empowered by the Spirit, how does he do it? Yeah? What does that practically look like for us? Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're just going to read, like, so Acts chapter 2 happens. If you don't know that story, let me paraphrase it. They're waiting, as Jesus said, to wait. The Spirit comes at Pentecost. They get filled with the Spirit. Uh, people start saying this is crazy because they're speaking in other tongues and they're confused. And then Peter gets up and explains that actually this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel and 3,000 people get saved. Yeah? Pretty cool. Now, as that goes along, we see from verse 42, it says this of the Spirit-empowered church trying to fulfill the purpose of God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. Wow. Some of them raised their hands and some of them didn't, and it was fine. <laughs> they sold property, supernatural generosity, and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What a witness. What a witness. When the church is filled with the Holy Spirit, crazy things happen, right? Crazy things happen for the purpose of witness. But here's what I want you to understand. Here's what I want you to grasp, right? When the Spirit is empowering its, His church into its purpose, there's three things that the apostles, that the disciples, that the church actually does. There's three things that we need to recognize as the byproduct of the Spirit's filling. And here's what it is. One, a devotion to the Word. Two, a devotion to fellowship. And three, a devotion to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship and the breaking of bread. And they devoted themselves to prayer. Friends, this is what the Spirit of God empowers His church to do. And as the church is empowered by the Spirit to be devoted to the Word, to be devoted to fellowship, and to be devoted to prayer, everything else flows out of that. Everything else flows out of that. What happens out of that is, is uh, worship, wonders, and witness. This is what we see in these passages. But it's not John and Peter didn't, like, in chapter, let's go to chapter 3. I'm getting, I'm getting ahead of I'm getting excited. <laughs> Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Because after 2 comes 3, right? And chapter 3 is effectively like a zoom in on what we just saw of the last five verses we read. So the five verses... 
talking about what's happening in the church. Chapter 3 is like, Luke says, oh, well, let me give you an example of what this looked like, yeah? And so in chapter 3, we see Peter and John get up, and I'm going to read the first sort of seven verses, and I'm going to paraphrase. 3 verse 1, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. What were they going to do? Pardon? Pray. They got up and they were going to the temple at the time of prayer, three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something. And then Peter had said, silver or gold I don't have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. So what we've seen is Peter and John devoting themselves to prayer, to the Word, to fellowship. They're together. They're in the Word. They're praying. That's what they're doing. As that happens, there happens to be a man along the way. While they were going to pray, this man is here, and as they're walking past, he's like, hey, have you got money? And they're like, no, we actually don't have money, but hey... I've got an awesome God, do you want him? And so what we see in their devotion to word, fellowship, prayer, comes witness. And in the witness comes a wonder. This man walks. That wonder might look like someone's life just being radically transformed. That wonder might be someone supernaturally just giving financially to someone in need when they didn't think that they had the money or the capacity to do it. The wonder could look like anything. That wonder exemplifies the witness and it results in worship. Is somebody with me this morning? Hear me. Peter and John did not wake up that morning, go through the to-do list that their wife had made for them and say, right, what do I need to do today? Get apples, done that, tick. Uh, New fishing net, tick. Uh, Oh, raise a a blind beggar. Uh, John, we're going to go and like heal a a beggar, a lame beggar, and, uh, and then we've got to go and witness the gospel again to a group of people and see lots of people saved. And then if you read on that chapter, we've got to then get arrested and uh, and go to the Sanhedrin and preach again and, uh, and just see a mighty move of God. Come on, let's go. No, while he was on his way, while they were on their way to pray. And I think sometimes in the church, when we, we think about the purpose and the mission of God, it can become too much. How the heck can I make a difference in this very broken, very dark world? Friends, our world is in desperate need of a move of God. There is all sorts of stuff happening in our culture that is just despicable 
and the church should not stand for it. But guess what? It is Jesus who builds his church. It is the Spirit who is empowering the church to bear witness. It is not on your shoulders to change anybody's life. It is on God's very big, very broad, very capable shoulders. What he's looking for is a people who would devote themselves to the Word, to fellowship, and to prayer. And if we would do that, on the way, wonders, worship, and witness will happen. And if you keep reading in the book of Acts, if you go through chapter 3 and you see this great uh, proclamation that Peter and John get to make, simply by just telling a man about Jesus, simply by just saying, hey man, this is what I've got, get up and walk. And they get to preach and then they get arrested in the Sanhedrin and then he gets to proclaim, let me read a bit from chapter 4 because this is killer, from from verse, uh, let's go from verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7. So they were arrested. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them by what power, someone say power, or what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given to humanity by which we must be saved. What a message! Peter did not spend three days constructing this sermon, laboring over it. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was devoted to the Word. He was devoted to fellowship. He was devoted to prayer. And the Spirit gave him the Word in the moment out of that devotion. Are you hearing me, church? Look at what it says next. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were ordinary unschooled men, they were astonished. And what did they do? They took note that they had been with Jesus. They took note that they had been with Jesus. Friends, the power of the gospel, the power of the Spirit, the power of purpose that we have is not us striving and striving and striving to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. No, it is when the church devotes itself to the word, when the church devotes itself to fellowship, when the church devotes itself to prayer, and it's in the devotion that the Spirit will empower His purpose. It's when the church is in devotion that purpose is fulfilled, that purpose happens. Yes, and this is why when uh, the writer to the Hebrews says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, he's saying, hey, you can say, hey, I want to see the whole world saved. And we do, and we want that to happen in our world. We want to transform the world. But our, our, the means through which we do it is not just having that amazing purpose and mission statement. Yeah, let's charge towards our mission. No, it happens when we charge towards Jesus. 
And as we devote ourselves to the word and to fellowship and to prayer, and then God will empower his purpose into being. This is what we are called to do. And so what that brings us to as a church is our vision statement. (laughs) Why do we do what we do? Because we do have a vision statement. And we do have a mission statement. And it's not because we, are, we think that the church is a, like an organisation or a corporation. No, the church is the living, breathing organism of God. It's the assembly. It's the ecclesia. So what we've done as a church, and you're going to hear a lot of this, is what we've done is we've actually tried to condense these 66 books of the Bible, this glorious light, that is the good news of Jesus Christ, the story, the narrative of God from beginning to end. And we've tried to say, well, how do we encapsulate that? Not just for the church, because we know that it's about the devotion to the word, the fellowship and the spirit, but to the world out there. So when they look at us, they don't think, gee, they're a weird social club. But they understand what we're trying to do. They understand that there is a simple, like, how do, we, how do we take this gospel? How do we take the 66th book of the Bible, this glorious word of God, that I'm going to spend my whole life trying to explain, trying to minister, trying to unpack, and I know that even a thousand lifetimes wouldn't even do a skerrick of justice on the magnificence that is God's purpose in the world. But how does the world see that and say, well, what are they on about? And so this is our attempt to condense that gospel. It's not perfect, but I think it's all right. And this is what it is. Let's go to the next. Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed. That when we are devoted to the word, devoted to fellowship, and devoted to prayer, empowered by the Spirit, what we will see is Jesus will be glorified, not us. If we start getting any glory, I'm out. It's not about us. It's certainly not about me. It's about him. Jesus glorified. And guess what? When Jesus is glorified, lives are transformed. And if we're not seeing lives transformed, then Jesus isn't being glorified. My hope is that this year, we will see in virtually everything we do, people giving their lives to Jesus for the very first time. That we would see people maturing and growing in faith. That we would be seeing baptisms happening left, right and centre. That we would be seeing lives genuinely transformed out of darkness into light. And when that happens, hope is revealed to the world witness. Jesus glorified, worship, lives transformed, wonders, hope revealed, witness. All through scripture, over and over and over again, when the church is on mission, when the church is fulfilling its purpose, empowered by the Spirit, not by itself, Jesus is glorified, lives are transformed, and hope is revealed in the world. Amen? And here's how we do it practically. Next one that you put up before, Katie. 
We're going to try in everything that we have to develop and equip passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel. This is why we do what we do. This is why we have Awaken on a Saturday morning at 6 a.m. with over 50 people rocking up to exercise, to worship, to pray. What are they doing? They're devoting themselves to the Word. They're devoting themselves to fellowship and they're devoting themselves to prayer. And in so doing, believing that God will bring transformation, will will empower and equip disciples who can go into the world so that we can see the purpose of God fulfilled in his empowerment. Band, you can come up. So the church is not a business, but it does have a mission. Yeah, the church isn't a business, but it does have a mission. And I guess this message today and what we're going to explore over the next few weeks is simply an invitation into that mission. It's an invitation to say, are you going to join us? But it's not a pressure to say that you have to be someone on a platform preaching, you have to go and, you know, minister to the person next to you every second of every day. No, 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 no. What it is, it's an invitation to devotion, to word, fellowship and prayer. Have I said that enough times today? Guess what three words I want you to take with you when you leave today? And as we do that, as we are empowered by the Spirit, then be bold. When you're going, when you're walking, when you're working, when you're doing whatever it is that you are doing, in whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. As you are on your way in your everyday life, when you see the equivalent of the lame beggar, by the side of the road, whatever that might look like in your life, in your circumstance. We don't see many lame beggars in the Adelaide Hills, but we do see people in a workplace who are battling with depression and anxiety. We do see people who are suffering uh, in singleness because their husband or their wife has just left them for another bloke or another woman. We do see families being torn apart. We do see people who are homeless. We do see people who are struggling with, uh, with all sorts of mental illness. We see the lame. We see the spiritually blind. People chasing after Buddhism. People chasing after Islam. People chasing after probably more so money. People chasing after comfort. People chasing after everything the world can offer. And guess what? At the end of the day, still they aren't fulfilled. Still they're searching. Still they're seeking. Still they're looking for something. As the lame beggar, he thought he wanted money. He's like, hey, all I need is a bit of money. If you just give me some money, that'll change my circumstance. Peter, as he was going in devotion, saw the man, because that's what devotion will do. It'll change your life from the inside out. You'll have eyes to see because the Spirit will be empowering you. And as you see that person, you say, hey, I have Jesus. And Jesus is the only one who can meet your need. And He's the only one who can transform your situation. So I don't have what you're looking for, but I have what you need. And what you need is Christ. So let me tell you about Him. Can I read the Bible with you? Hey, would you mind if I prayed for you? All of that flows out of devotion, friends. Amen? All of that flows out of devotion. That is the purpose and the function of the Holy Spirit. And as we operate in the Spirit's empowerment, 
maybe we will see miracles. I personally am going to believe for it. I'm going to be brave and bold enough to just go, do you know what? You've got a sore shoulder. I'm going to pray for you because just maybe God might heal you. What a witness. But I'm also going to try and feed the hungry. And I'm also going to sit with the person who's suffering from loneliness. Because that is just as much a gift of the Spirit and what the Spirit is calling us to do. Are you with me? So as we're going, as we're going, in devotion to the Word, fellowship and prayer, let's be brave and bold, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit. Let's live a Spirit-empowered life so that Jesus might be glorified, lives might be transformed, and hope might be revealed. Stand to your feet. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.